0: Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning? How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. And I'm glad to be in the presence of the Lord, because in His presence there is fullness of joy. Not just enough joy to get by. Not just enough joy to get through the day or the week. But in his presence there is fullness, there is an abundance of joy.
1: Isn't it amazing
0: that we can come to church and we can be having a bad morning or a bad day or week, and uh, we may have fought with our spouse on the way to church, and we may have threatened our kids on the way to church. I can get a witness from the parents on that one. And uh, you can come into church and there may not be a lot of joy something happens when you get into his house and you get into his presence. That fullness, that abundance of joy just kind of begins to settle in the room. And um, I believe that there is joy in the house of the Lord. And then we also understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I get my strength from the joy that I found in his presence. Because everything we'll ever need Can always be found in his presence and I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord and I'm just honored and excited to be with you these next couple of days and uh, it's always an honor to be able to come always a highlight of mine to be able to come to this church and uh, I was looking at my schedule earlier and I believe I met your pastor in 2018 at a Good Friday service over by the Cannons Church. And then I preached here in 2019. And for some reason, he just keeps asking me back every year. But I I feel like I'm getting the better end of the deal. But I give your pastor honor and also his wife and their family and the work that they are doing here and all the ministry, saints, visitors. It looks good in the house of the Lord. And uh, it's a good thing you've got a building you're working on because you're going to need room. And if you're going to have a problem, I guess that's the good problem to have. Amen. And I'm just excited about what the Lord is doing and what he's going to continue to do. And I believe the Lord's going to do great things Amen. the next couple of days. Amen. if you have your Bibles, I'll go to Exodus chapter 15. And then I'll jump over to Matthew chapter 1, Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and then Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The praise team, they were singing about the Lord, and Brother Biddle talked about the Lord in his Sunday school lesson, and if it's all right, I'm just going to preach about him for a little bit. Because I've come to learn if, if we make it about him and not about us, it always turns out pretty good. And so I want to I preach about him today. So Exodus chapter 15, 1 and 2, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. And he has become my salvation. He, speaking about the Lord, he is my God. And I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God and I will exalt him. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the Bible says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise: when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she found with child, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily but while he thought on these things behold the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying Joseph thou son of David fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he nobody else for he Jesus shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying a virgin is gonna be with child and bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what happened just a few days ago when our brother was baptized in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, it's a good day to get wet. It's a good day to have that name applied to your life. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, it's a good day to receive the Holy Ghost. I want to preach to you for, and I know it's 15 to 1, and uh, I, can, I can preach as long as you can listen. But I am kind of getting hungry too, so. I want to preach to you for a little while about Jehovah has become my Jesus. Jehovah has become my Jesus why don't we lift our hands one more time all over the house and as we lift our hands why don't we join our voices together one more time come on let's just talk to the Lord just for a moment God, I thank you for every individual who made the decision to come to your house this morning. Every individual who may have been tired in their body and weary in their mind, they still chose to be in church. God, I pray as your word goes forth, that word would become life to every individual in every situation. In Jesus' name, why don't you give the Lord one more great hand clap of praise. And you may be seated if you promise not to go to sleep the bible is a very fascinating book to say the least it has 66 books 1189 chapters 31173 verses 7704 774,746 words. It has 18 historical books, five poetical books, 17 prophetical books, four gospels, 22 epistles, 40 authors and two covenants. And in between all of that and in all of that and before all of that and after all of that is one timeless God but can I tell you this morning that the Bible is a book that is replete with God's timeless promises. It is a book that is full of God's prophetic utterances. But may I also remind you this Sunday morning that while the Bible is full of complex characters and while it has different dispensations and while it contains a multitude of miracles, Can I also remind you this morning that the Bible, that thing that you're holding beside you, uh, is a book full of songs. And while the Bible is not a song book, you will find that that Bible is a book uh, that contains at least 185 different songs, uh, battles, coronations, and funerals. uh, cities being sacked and seas splitting up. The fact is you can find a song for almost any occasion in the word of the Lord. 150 of the 185 songs, or 80% of the songs in the entire Bible, are found in the book of Psalms, which interestingly enough means the book of songs because it was literally the songbook of Israel. We also are familiar with the Song of Solomon because it is a famous love song between a bride and a groom. We also understand that Solomon wrote a 1,004 other songs, but this, the Song of Solomon, is what the Bible calls the Song of Songs. We have Lamentations, which is, when you begin to read, a set of five Dargis, which means they are five songs, mourning the fall and devastation of Jerusalem. The longest song in the Bible is in Psalm 119. It has 1,732 words. The shortest song or songs are in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and chapter 20. Both only have seven words. But when you begin to study the Bible and you begin to study songs, there are famous songs that kind of stick out in our mind. We have the, De- the song of Deborah that she sung after in the book of Judges 5 she sung this after the Lord had given her and Barak victory over the Canaanites. Judges 5 verses 1 through 5 says then sang Deborah on that day saying praise ye the Lord for avenging Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear O ye kings give ear O ye princes I, even I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing songs to the Lord God of Israel Lord when thou wentest out of Seir when thou mark out of the field of Edom. The Bible says that she sang, The earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, and clouds also dropped water, the mountains melted before the Lord, even that Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. We then have David's song. This was sung after David defeated Goliath in the valley of Elah, because in 1 Samuel 18:6 through 7, it says that all the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, saying these words with timbrels in their hand. They said that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. We think of the song of Jehoshaphat because it was in Second Chronicles. The Bible says this man appoints men to sing praises as they march into the battle. Second Chronicles 20, 21 says that when he, speaking of Jehoshaphat, consulted with the people, he then appointed singers unto the Lord and that they should sing the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were supposed to enter into the army saying these words, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. We've even got the song of Paul and Silas because we understand it was in Acts 16. They're in prison for preaching and casting a devil out of a girl. But the Bible says in Acts 16, 25 and at midnight Paul and and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I take a moment and tell you and remind you? This is why we still sing. Something powerful happens, ladies and gentlemen, when we come to God's house and we're in God's presence, and we begin to magnify and lift up His name through a song. Something happens when we come into God's house and we begin to praise Him for victories He's given us, like Deborah and the women of Israel. But something also happens when we come in this house and begin to praise him for a victory that he's not yet given. That's what Jehoshaphat done. That's what Paul and Silas done. That's why the book of Psalms admonishes us to be glad and rejoice in the Lord and sing praises unto his name. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why the Bible commands us to sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing praise in his sanctuary. Ladies and gentlemen, It is not a coincidence that the Holy Ghost begins to move and the glory begins to fill the house when people come together and begin to lift up his name in a song. The Bible is full of powerful songs. The Bible is full of prophetic songs. However, I want to focus for a few moments this morning on the very first song ever to be recorded in your Bible. It's what the Bible calls the Song of Moses. It's amazing to know that Moses sings the very first song in the Bible and he also has his song, the last song in the Bible also is the Song of Moses in the book of Revelation 15. But it's in Exodus 15 where Moses begins to sing the first song in the Bible it is the song of Moses it's what we read a few moments ago because we understand Israel had been living in Egypt for over 400 years they had been Pharaoh's slaves for 430 years in fact and the Bible says every morning their lives were made bitter with mortar and with brick I want you to understand they were not just in Egypt they were slaves to Egypt they were slaves to Pharaoh every morning Morning the whip was there every night the whip was there they were beaten and bruised and brutalized but we understand the day comes when Moses is given instructions to go down and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go and we understand that God brings them out but then they are met with the Red Sea and fear and panic begins to set in but just like God he makes a way one more time and the Bible says the waters stand up like a heap Israel walks through and as Pharaoh and the army's trying to follow them, the waters that stood up like a heap now begins to recede. And the Bible says when the Egyptians pursued them, the entire army of Pharaoh drowned in the waters. And after all of this happens, Brother Biddle, This is where we pick up in Exodus 15 because the Bible says in Exodus 15 and one, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He goes on to sing, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. He is chosen captains were drowned in the waters. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thou right hand, O Lord, Moses says, is glorious in power. Thou right hand, O Lord, has dashed into pieces the enemy and in thy greatness of thine excellency that was overthrown them that rose up against me. He says, the enemy said, this is what Pharaoh said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, I will draw the sword, my hand shall destroy them. But Moses comes right back in the next verse and says, but God, thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea cover them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise. Thou hast stretched out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. He said the Lord shall reign forever and ever for the horse of Pharaoh went in. And the Bible says Moses then says these words, the waters of the sea came over them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. It is the song of Moses, ladies and gentlemen. And the fact is, it is this song, the song of Moses that captures my attention above any other song in your Bible. It gets my attention more than Deborah's song. It gets my attention more than David and Jehoshaphat and Paul and Silas's song because it is the song of Moses that intrigues me above them all. In fact, the first 13 words of verse number two is what really stands out to me more than anything else because I believe when you see what Moses was singing you're going to realize that they are the greatest words ever to be written in a song in the Bible and also outside of the Bible. Moses says in Exodus 15 and 2, those 13 words, he says, the Lord he is my strength and song. He is become my salvation. But can I tell this congregation that Moses wasn't the only one to sing this song? He wrote the song, but years later, David picks up on this, and David sings it. It is Psalm 18:14. The Bible says David says the same words when he says, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. But can I tell you, it wasn't just Moses who wrote it, and it wasn't just Moses and David who sang it, but Isaiah the prophet sings the same words. It is in Isaiah 12 and 2. The prophet says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and song. He is become my salvation. Three men living at three different times, Moses, David, and Isaiah, all sung the same words. They all said, The Lord is my strength and song, the Lord is my salvation. Fully understand what they were singing you've got to look at the words they use in the Hebrew language because you'll notice in every instance the word Lord is in all caps. That's not a coincidence. That's not a translational error because when the word Lord is in all caps, it literally means the self-existent or eternal God. It is the Jewish Old Testament name of God himself. It's what the Jews call the Tetragrammaton because anytime the word Lord is in all caps, it literally means Jehovah or Yahweh. So look at what they're saying they're saying the Lord or Jehovah is my strength ladies and gentlemen that ought to give us enough reason to shout because when the day comes when I don't have strength when the day comes when I feel weary and fatigued I just got to remind myself brother Biddle that the Lord Jehovah is my strength But they also say the Lord of Jehovah is not just my strength, but he's my song when I come into God's house and I don't feel like praising and I don't feel like worshiping. There's a song that God will give me in the night. There is a song that only God can give me. He said that the Lord of Jehovah is my strength and song. This is where it gets good. Because we're on the sermon this morning. He said the Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. Jehovah has become my salvation. That word salvation in the Old Testament Hebrew language doesn't really mean salvation in which we think it means in the New Testament because you look at that translation of the word salvation, you're able to realize it literally means the word Yeshua. And Yeshua is where we get the word for Jesus. And so do you know what Moses was singing? Do you know what David and Isaiah were singing? They were saying the Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. Jehovah has become my Jesus. Now, I understand, Brother Biddle, that Jesus was not in the Old Testament, but the spirit of prophecy moved upon Moses. The spirit of prophecy moved on David and Isaiah, and they said, I don't know when, and I don't know where it's gonna be, but there's a day coming when the self-existent eternal God is gonna put on flesh. There's a day coming when Jehovah is going to become my Jesus. Can I tell everybody in this room that is the reason why this song is better than any other song? It was a prophetic song. And it's not an accident that Moses, David, and Isaiah all sung those words because Moses is a type of Christ. David was a seer of things to come and Isaiah gave us more messianic prophecies about Jesus than anybody else. All three men were singing about a day when the invisible God of the Old Testament was no longer going to stay invisible but they were saying there's a day coming when that invisible God is going to put on flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to shout because there was a day when Jehovah made up in his mind I'm going to become the man Jesus see this is why the angel in Matthew chapter 1 appears to Joseph and says you cannot put away your wife it was an indictment in that day to be pregnant and not married this is why the Bible says Joseph was a just man And he was not going to make a public example of her, but he was going to put her away privately. He was going to do it behind closed doors. The angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, you cannot abort what God's already set in motion because the thing that is born of a Mary is born of the Holy Ghost. And then the angel says, you cannot name that baby anything you want to name him. This is out of your hands, Joseph. I'm sorry. It's not your baby, and it's not your baby to name Because the angel looks at him and says, you're going to name him Jesus. Here's why. Because he's going to save his people from their sin. Do you know what the name Jesus literally means? It means Jehovah Savior or Jehovah saves. Ladies and gentlemen, when that baby was born in a manger, it was more than just some Jewish baby being born. It was Emmanuel. It was God coming to be with us. He was Jesus. He was Jehovah. Salvation. The day when Jesus was born was the day when Jehovah became my Jesus. Because Jesus literally means Jehovah saves. See, this is a principle established all the way back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament name of God, Jehovah, was wrapped up, we understand, in the name of Jesus in the New Testament. This is why we preach and teach the name of Jesus like we do. Because when you lift your hands and say Jesus, you're literally calling on the self-existent eternal God. His name was wrapped up. God, everything God was, was wrapped up in the name Jesus. But this is a pattern that he establishes in the Old Testament. This is why you see men's names like Joshua. Waugh. Because Joshua is literally an Old Testament type of Jesus. This is why men have the name like Elijah. El literally means God. Yah means Jehovah. The name of God was wrapped up in the name Elijah. This is why we have Elisha. It's the same principle. It's why we have men that have the name Nehemiah or Ezekiel. God will strengthen. It's why we have a man by the name of Daniel. It's Daniel. It literally means God will judge. It's why we have the prophet Joel. It literally goes back to the self-existing God. It's why we've got men like Zephaniah and Zechariah and all those Old Testament men's name. God incorporated his name in those men because he was foreshadowing a day when the right man was going to come to the earth And the man named Jesus who was born was not just an earthly conqueror like Joshua. The man Jesus who was born was gonna conquer death and hell. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we get the understanding that the angel told Joseph his name will be called Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. An even greater understanding of this concept of Matthew 1 is given to us in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And then in John chapter 1 verse 14. John 1 and 1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And then the Word was God. Skip down to verse 14. John then says, and the Word, which was God and with God. He says, and the Word was made flesh. Another translation of that verse literally means and the word or Jehovah was made or it became flesh. That's John 1. Go to the next chapter, John 2. And we see the identical syntax of John 1 in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we understand there's a marriage at Cana of Galilee. The Bible says they come into a problem because they run out of wine. So Mary does what only she knows to do. Jesus, we got a problem. We've ran out of wine. Jesus kind of looks back at his mother and says, I'm sorry, but it's not my time to work. It's not time for me to enter into my ministry. But Mary ignores everything Jesus says and looks at those servants and then says, whatever he tells you, I know what he just said. (laughs) But whatever he tells you to do after what he just said, you just do it. So the Bible says Jesus cannot turn away somebody with that kind of faith. And he says, I tell you what, go get water pots and bring them back in here. And you pour that water into the water pot and we understand the water becomes wine. And when they serve that wine at the feast, the men are staggered and astonished because they said, normally you give us the best wine first and then bring out the cheap stuff. But he says, you've saved the best wine for last. And let me just tell this congregation that story is more about, is about more than just giving us an excuse to drink wine. Because if you know anything about wine, it has the same properties as olive oil does. And when you talk about wine, it's symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you the best wine for last. That's why Solomon said the end of a thing is greater than the beginning. It goes to Joel chapter 2. In the last day saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. There is a beautiful parallel. There is a beautiful scripture in the story of water the wine. Jesus was saying, I've saved the best wine for last because in the latter days, the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. And we are a part of that latter rain movement. And the outpouring that God gives us today is gonna be greater than anything he's ever done previously because he saved the best wine for last. But there's a verse in there that is the identical syntax of John 1. John 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, and the water was made wine, or the water became wine. It's the same syntax of John 1.14 when John says, and the word became flesh, or the word was made flesh. It is the same syntax because, ladies and gentlemen, when the water became wine, the water did not cease to exist. But the water was contained in the wine. Because when the water became wine, it was in that moment that the water took on a dimension that it did not have prior to becoming wine. When the water became wine, the water was still in the wine. And to parallel the language, John said, and the Word became flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, when the Word, who was God, the invisible eternal God, when the Word became flesh, it didn't cease being the Word, but the Word was contained in the flesh can I tell this congregation when the word of God when God the word became the flesh when he became Jesus he was taken on a dimension of flesh a dimension of being that he did not previously be before he became flesh ladies and gentlemen that is the power and that is the anointing and that is the awesome revelation of the mighty God in Christ when God became flesh, he didn't cease being God. That God was in flesh. That's why John goes on to tell us in John 1.18, he hath declared him. Who is the he? It's the self-existent God. He said he hath declared him, Jesus. You know what that word declared means? It means he fully explained him. Jehovah fully explained Jesus by becoming Jesus. The word became flesh. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, to it God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself, God the spirit, this self-existing eternal God was in Christ the man. When God became a man, he became a man, but he did not cease from being God. There's some people believe that he became divine flesh, that's not true. He was a man. And some people reject Jesus entirely. They're both on the opposite ends of the extreme of the ditches. When He became flesh, he didn't stop being God, but that God was in the man Jesus. That's why 1 Timothy 3:16 says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in the glory. That word manifest literally means to make known. It is the same word that John used when he says, God hath declared him. God made himself known by becoming the man, Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, there was a day that that Old Testament invisible eternal God Said, I'm going to put on flesh and I'm going to become your Jesus. Years ago, a prominent pastor was having a conversation with a Jewish rabbi, and they began to talk about the Old Testament. And that pastor said, Would it be permissible to replace the word salvation in the Old Testament with the word Jesus and it still translate accurately? Now, the the rabbi kind of stalled because they reject Jesus as their Messiah. But he could not argue the scripture that he studied all of his life. He said, I guess you could. And it would not damage scripture. Ladies and gentlemen, you go through the Old Testament. And when the word salvation means Yeshua, replace it with the word Jesus. And it brings a brand new understanding of what God had planned from the very beginning Verses like Psalm 27 and 1, the Lord is my lot and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know what David's really saying? He's saying the Lord of Jehovah is my lot and salvation. The Lord is my lot and my Jesus. Look at Isaiah 26 and 1. In that day, shall this song be sung into the land of Judah? We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. You know what it really is saying? It's saying we have a strong city. Jesus will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. What about Isaiah 12, 3 through 4? Isaiah says, therefore with joy, you're going to draw waters out of the wells of salvation. Therefore with joy, or you're going to draw waters out of the well of Jesus. And then verse number 4, the Bible says, in that day shall you say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, Jesus, declare his doings among the people, make mention his name is to be exalted. He said, in that day, what day? He's talking about the day when Jesus walks this earth. He says there's a day coming when you're going to be able to draw water out of the wells of salvation. You're going to be able to draw waters out of the wells of Jesus. Why do you think Jesus says in John 4, I must needs go through Samaria? Because there was a prophecy given by Isaiah back in Isaiah 12 that I've got to fulfill. He said, there's coming a day when you're going to draw waters from the wells of Jesus. Jesus says, if that's going to happen, I've got to go to Samaria and I've got to go to Jacob's well. You want to talk about a powerful word picture in your Bible? There is a well sitting on a well. The wells of salvation sat down at the wells of Jacob the well of Samaria and wouldn't you know it here comes a Samaritan woman uh, who had had five husbands and was living with a six uh, this was a woman uh, whose life was in shambles uh, her life was in a million pieces uh, she was looking for satisfaction uh, any way she could find it uh, and this is why Jesus looks at her uh, and says if you drink of my water uh, you'll never thirst again how is it that you're offering me water because if I drink it I'll never thirst you've got to understand lady that's not just a man offering you water from the well of Jacob that was the Old Testament God that was the well of salvation saying if you drink of my water you'll never look for anything else that's why Jesus was man number seven because seven means completion you know what Jesus done to that woman when she drank of the waters of salvation completion came when she drank of the wells of salvation God completed her The only way he could offer living water is because the Jehovah who spoke through Isaiah was the Jesus sitting at Jacob's well in John. You're gonna draw from the waters of salvation. You're going to draw from the waters of Jesus. That word salvation literally means liberty, deliverance, or prosperity. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what we experience when we obey the gospel. When we repent, we get deliverance. When we're baptized, we get liberty. And when we get the Holy Ghost, we get prosperity. Aren't you thankful, ladies and gentlemen, that God said, I'm going to become your Jesus. It's personal. It is a personal salvation. Only God can bring you deliverance only God can bring you prosperity and liberty. Jehovah became our Jesus. This is what's so powerful, and I see the runway. Hang on to me. This is what's so powerful about John again. The book of John is the only book that records the seven I am statements Jesus made. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. The book of John is the only book who records those seven I am statements. It's invisible in the English language because we're just reading the words I am. But it's very obvious in ancient language. Because when Jesus was saying, I am the door, or I am the shepherd, I am the resurrection, he was using the words, ego, I, me, in the Greek. And that is why every time Jesus said, I am, or ego, I, me, the Jews wanted to kill him. To understand what Jesus was saying in John, you got to go back to Exodus when Moses stands by a burning bush, and Moses says, you tell me to tell Pharaoh who sent me. And that self-existent, eternal God spoke from that bush and said, you tell Pharaoh, I am that I am. You tell Pharaoh, I will be what I am I will be what I will be that word I am literally means the self-existent or the eternal it's where the Jews would give the name Jehovah that moment at the burning bush was one of the more important moments in the history of Israel because it was at that moment God told Moses his name I am that I am I am Jehovah and when Jesus walks around in the book of John And he starts saying, I am, I am, ego, I, me. The Jews wanted to kill him because they thought he was blaspheming the name of God of the Old Testament. Ladies and gentlemen, it's invisible for English readers to see, but Old Testament ancient history language makes it very clear. When Jesus said, I am, he was saying, ego, I me, or he was literally saying, I am that I am. You want to know why Jesus was using the ancient name of God? It's because he was the ancient God. He had a right to use that name. He was letting those people know that the same God who spoke to Moses at the burning bush is the same God who stands before you today he could use his name because it was his name to use why do you think he looked at him one day and said before Abraham was I am how can Man, I feel my Holy Ghost right here. They said, how can you be before Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. You've got to understand, my flesh is only 30 years old, but the eternal God inside of me is timeless. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Ego I me. That's why Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you're going to die in your sin. If you don't believe that I'm that God, you're going to die in your sin. That's why Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you're going to know that I am. You're going to know, ego I me. You're going to know that I am that God I told you I was. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that is why we do everything in Jesus' name? That's why the Bible says, Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, you better do it all in Jesus' name. We pray in that name, we baptize in that name. Why? Because Jehovah became our Jesus. The self existent eternal God was wrapped up in that name Jesus. I was on the way to church this morning, I was at a red light. I got him behind somebody, and their bumper sticker said, Don't mess with me, I serve a lot of gods. And it gave all the symbols and the things up under it. I think the point was you ticked me off, I got a lot of gods I'm gonna call on. Aren't you thankful that we don't have 15 or 20 gods to go through? Aren't you thankful that we can lift our hands and if we don't know what else to say, just say, Jesus. Because when you call on Jesus, you're calling on the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. The man once tried to back an apostolic Pentecostal preach on the corner by saying this. He said, you apostolics, you Pentecostals, are so narrow-minded. He said, you're shallow. That pastor said, well, explain. He said, you only have about four or five subjects you can preach. You're limited. His point was, I'm more educated than you. I've got a lot of things to preach. That pastor looked back at that man and said, I'm sorry, but I disagree. We don't have four or five subjects to preach. We got one. Can I tell everybody in this room, I could have preached a lot of things today. I could have preached healing, but when I preach Jesus, you get healing. I could have preached deliverance, but when I preach Jesus, you get deliverance. I could have preached a new start, but when you preach Jesus, you get a new start. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're not Jesus only. We're Jesus everything. Let's talk about one last thing and I'm done. I could not bring my point home without going to a a verse that's caused a lot of confusion. I think it's Matthew 27, I think 27, 46. I think that's correct. Jesus is on the cross, right? Moments before dying. And Jesus says something that has caused the masses to stumble and wonder at. It wasn't intended that way. This is why you've got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Don't let traditions interpret the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Jesus is on the cross about to die and he says, elea, laba which literally means my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And if we read that at face value, sounds like there's more than one. I mean, if you just read the black and white ink on the Bible, it literally, it sounds like the Father has forsook the Son. But if they're co-equal, co-eternal, how can one forsake the other? Can I tell this congregation, the Father was not forsaking the Son because I got Bible for it. Let me tell you what Jesus was doing and feeling at that moment. He is the only man to ever live this earth by the middle and not sin. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, but he was still sinless. The man Jesus is the only person to ever walk this earth and not sin. But the Bible says he's on that cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why. What does the Bible say sin does? It separates us from Him. In that moment, Jesus began to feel how you and I feel when there's sin in our life. That's why your Bible says, He who knew no sin was made sin, so we might become known as the righteousness of God. In that moment, He was not literally forsaken, He felt forsaken. Because the Bible says he took upon him like a lodestone all of our iniquities and sin. Don't ever think you're in a boat by yourself when you feel far from God. He already took that. But to make my point, if if I were to say these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, what comes to your mind? That's right. We can say one verse or one line and all of a sudden we know the exact next line that comes. If I was to say the Lord is my shepherd, I mean it's just in the, we can go years without hearing that song but somebody can say the Lord is my shepherd and automatically we can quote Psalm 23 because it's in the back of our mind. Can I tell this congregation that when Jesus is on that cross and he says my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not just crying out in desperation. I do not have time to get into it. But go to Psalm 22 and verse 1. If you can throw that up there. I know I've put you on the spot. Now Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go to Psalm 22 and read the whole chapter when you get time. Psalm 22 and verse number 1. This is what David says. Now is David Jesus? No. I want you to watch this. Psalm 22 and verse number 1. I know I put them on the spot. They're doing a great job. But I I want you to see this. Psalm 22 and 1 is the same question that Jesus asked on the cross. Now, was somebody being crucified in Psalm 22? Was David being crucified in Psalm 22? In fact, you can keep reading Psalm 22 and you realize something is happening that pertains to a crucifixion. Because David goes on to say that they parted my garments among them. They cast lots for my vesture. He said, my tongue cleaves to my jaws. I'm taken down to the dust of death. He even says, dogs have compassed me. They shoot out the lip. They wag the head. You can read Psalm 22 and you realize in that moment, this is about a crucifixion. But nobody's been crucified in Psalm 22. David was not just a singer and a songwriter. David was a prophet. David was a seer of things to come. And Psalm 22, God allows David to tap into the emotions that he was going to feel dying on that cross years later. Can I tell everybody in this room that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not crying out in a moment of desperation. Jesus is singing an Old Testament song You want to talk about a song of songs. Jesus has died on that cross. And he says, in my last attempt to get these people to know who I am, I'm going to reach back hundreds of years, and I'm going to grab a prophecy, David said. And he said, I'm going to start singing because I want you to know that I am the man that I said I was. And just like we know the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When Jesus began to say that word, my Lord, my Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? Their minds, who had been trained for years, began to recite the rest of Psalm 22. And in that moment, they realized, I'm standing in the fulfillment of what David had seen so many years earlier. It was his last altar call he would give on this earth. Why do you think the Bible says when he gave up the ghost, the man put a spear in his side and there came out blood and water? And that Roman soldier, revelation hits him. Surely this was the Son of God. Surely this was God in the flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, I can stand here and preach what I'm preaching to you today because there was a day when Jehovah became flesh. Jehovah became my Jesus and your Jesus. Why do you think Paul said in Corinthians, I don't want to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? As we stand all over this room today, I could have preached anything that I wanted to preach today because we've all got needs. The fact is, I don't know what your needs are today, but I do know the name. Who can meet every need that you may have in this house? You may have never repented of your sins. You may have never been baptized in Jesus' name. You may not have the Holy Ghost. You may be in this room and you may need healing or a miracle. The fact is, brother Biddle, I learned a long time ago that if I just preach Jesus, whatever I need, He's that because he is the I am that I am I will be whatever you need me to be they tell me over in India and and all of these other countries that if somebody is sick they'll have to go to their temple and they'll have to go through a multitude of gods to get to the God of healing that they need to pray to if they need a financial blessing they'll have to go to that temple and they'll have to go through all the gods to get to the God of money if they've had cattle to die they'd have to go find the God of cattle if they need rain they'd have to go find the God that causes it to rain ladies and gentlemen we are a blessed people in this room right now I feel the Holy Ghost in this house and I know it's 1.30 I wonder if you could slip your hand up all over this room right now I feel him in the house that's why the Bible says he is as close as the mentioning of his name there's gonna be times when you don't know what to say there's gonna be times when you don't know how to pray the good news is all we've gotta do is say that name and whatever we need in that moment he becomes that They're about to sing, play momentarily. We're going to transition and we're going to be dismissed. But if you need something in this room today, I've preached the last 40, 45 minutes about a very personal God. That's why the Bible says Jehovah has become my salvation. It's personal. He's become my Jesus. He's my liberty. He's my deliverer. He's my healer. If you need something today, I've come to tell you that there is a God in this room who wants to come in this house and be personal with whatever you need. So we lift our hands. I wonder if you could step out of this out of your seat just for a moment. We're not going to belabor the point. But if you need something from the Lord today, we're all going to come momentarily. But if you need something very specific, a healing, a miracle, if you need the Holy Ghost. If you need to be baptized, there is a very personal God in this room right now who says, I put on flesh for this moment right here. I died on that cross for this moment right here. Would anybody step out before we all come? We're going to all step out now. We're all going to come. We're all going to lift our hands.